Ashley Woodfolk is an award-winning author of books for kids and teens. She always wanted to write, but it wasn't until she'd worked in the publishing business for several years that she sold her first novel. As Ashley notes in this interview, nothing is guaranteed in this business, so she was excited when the book deals started to pour in. She was able to leave her job and focus exclusively on her writing. And then she got pregnant. And then COVID. To learn how the rest of the story goes, be sure to listen to today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the fearless storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Cool. Well, Ashley, what would... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Blooper. All right. Ashley Wood. Okay. Well, let's, I'm just going to keep like on a loop. Ashley Wood. Ashley Wood. Okay. Here we go. Ashley Woodfolk. Welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I'm excited to have you. And for people who may not know who you are, what would you like to share about yourself? Um, so my name is Ashley. I worked in but publishing for about a decade um, while I was trying to write my own novels and get published. And about halfway through um, my publishing career, I was able to find an agent and got my debut YA novel published. And that was in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have had a few more books published since then. Um, and I have a few more to come. So, um, my debut novel is called The Beauty That Remains. It Mm. is about grief and music. Um, my second novel is called When You Were Everything. And that is about, uh, female friendship and specifically about friendship breakups. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have a series that I wrote specifically for um, what people like to call reluctant readers. Um, So, you know, kids just that have a hard time finishing maybe like a thick novel. So these Mm -hmm. are short. um, And that series is called Fly Girls. Um, And each, it follows a a group of four friends and each book in the series follows a different girl in the friend group. Um, mm-hmm. They all go to a arts school in Harlem. Um, and so they're all artists, but like different kinds of artists. Cool. Um, and they're all girls of color. And then I have a novel coming out this summer that I co-wrote with a bunch of friends, um, Danielle Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, and Nicola Yoon. Mm. We all wrote a novel together called Blackout, um, and that is coming out June 22nd. Um, And I have a couple of other things, but those are the... (laughs) 
you've been, you've been busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Last couple of years have been, have been busy despite the pandemic. Um, so. <laughs> well, you know, and you mentioned your debut novel was in 2018, but you've yeah. already got like what half a dozen novels yeah. out books. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that feels fast to me from a publishing perspective in the traditional world. And I, I honestly think um, the only reason why I have so many is because of the series that I wrote. Those books are really, really short. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you were everything and the beauty that remains are like regular sort of 300 plus page novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fly girl series is those books are all less than 120 pages, I think. So those are much, much shorter. So probably all of them together is the length of one of my normal, (laughs) the length of one of my normal books. Um, So, yeah, if you think about it that way, I only have three books. I've only written three books. I'm not taking anything away from the accomplishment (laughs) of getting a book published. So you, you mentioned that you worked in publishing for a decade. and I don't know if that's past tense now. Um, yeah, um, it is past tense now. So what were you doing? Like, what was that journey like? Yeah, so um, when I when I was in school, um, I was really, I felt, I felt like I wanted to be a writer, but I was a little too chicken t- to mm. say that out loud slash like take that leap like straight out of college. Mm. Um, because, you know, writing is, you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. It's very inconsistent. Even once you have a book published, you don't know if you're going to get another one published. Um, so I was I was a little afraid to just say that I wanted to do that right out of college and to pursue that right out of college, so I didn't. Hmm. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be as close to books and stories um, as possible. So I... Um, I read this book called, I'm an English major, now what? <laughs> um, and uh, Is that, that like a 400 level practicum class? No, it it's, goes with it. it I'm joking, but it would be hilarious if it was <laughs> like, because it was very much um, a situation where I was getting close to graduating and I like, I had had a couple of teaching internships but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a teacher Mm. um I had done obviously like I had been writing for a long time um and so I knew I wanted to write but I didn't really know how to do I had you know I hadn't majored in journalism and I didn't really know how to get a journalism job and I also graduated um during the recession so there was there was um (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, it was like a tough time and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I read, so I got, I started working at actually uh, a Montessori preschool mm-hmm. when I graduated. Um, and I read this book while I was working there. And um, I learned about publishing these publishing programs. Sorry, there's like a helicopter. I hear it's fine. My apartment right now. <laughs> There was a section in the in the book that mentioned these publishing programs um, in New York. Columbia has one. New York um, University has one. NYU, and then there's another one I think like in Denver or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I applied to the two um, New York ones, and I got into the one at NYU. 
Mm. Um, and what those programs are, are they're just like summer intensives and you graduate with like a certificate in publishing and it's a way to sort of learn about publishing very quickly. And then they have a job fair at the end where, you know, it's hopeful that you will find a job. Um, it's really just something to like pad your resume with if you want to work in publishing. Um, cool. That seems helpful. Yeah. So I did that program and then it was still like a year or so before I found an actual job in publishing. Um, but I started at, I was in marketing the entire time. Um, I started at random house, um, on the adult side working in, in marketing. So with, um, a lot of the romance and science fiction novels. So like, uh, if you're familiar with the imprints at all, like Ray Spectra, um, does like science fiction fantasy and then Ballantine, um, Bantam Dell, which I don't even know if these are still there anymore, but they did a lot of like romance. So those were, I was kind of working with like genre fiction and stuff. And yeah. then we also had, um, like the random house imprint, which did a lot of like cookbooks and like sort of biographies and like self-help stuff. Celebrity thing. So you did um, some nonfiction stuff too. Yeah, some nonfiction stuff too. So it was interesting because I, in my first job, I sort of got a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of books. Um, and then about, but I had always loved children's books, so I knew that I wanted to eventually work in ch- with children's books or in children's books. And of course, that's what I was always writing. Um, so this whole time, I'm writing, but um, I wrote a couple of horrible books. <laughs> Um, you know, while I was, while I was working and, mm-hmm. um, a job became available that was in children's, um, in the children's department at random house. I moved over there. Um, I, well, you know, I pl- applied and went through the interview process and everything. And I was offered the position. And so I moved to children's, which I was like so excited about, mm. but I ended up hating, working there because I really didn't get along with my boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really unfortunate cause I was like so excited to be working with children's books and it just like, didn't end up being sort of like what I had built it up in my head to be. Yeah. Um, and actually the whole time that I worked there, which was about a year, um, I did not write at all. Cause I was just like so stressed out and like uncomfortable about, my, my working relationships. Yeah. Um, so I moved over to Macmillan after about a year at random house children's, like, I mean, about six months into that job, I had started applying for other positions because I was like, this is not sustainable for me. Um, and especially because it was affecting my writing and I knew that that's what I ultimately really, really wanted to do. Um, cause you know, I mean, everybody's had a, a bad job, but if the bad job is then affecting like other areas of your life beyond just like being, you know, a shit job. Yeah. It like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to handle. So, yeah. um, it seems like I, I'm glad you bring that up. Like you know, the, I mean, that's, that's part of the writing journey is everything else that's going on in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just so overwhelmed every day when I was working there that when I got home, I just like didn't have any emotional energy left to dedicate, you know, to the novel I was working on. And Mm -hmm. so it became very clear that like I couldn't stay there. Um, And so I found another job working at Macmillan, which was like the job that I had always 
dreamt of it being. Like it was, I had a really great relationship with everyone that I worked with. The team was super creative and the books were awesome. Mm-hmm. And so that, so I was in that job for five more years. Um, and honestly, the only reason I was actually like devastated when I decided to leave that job. And the only reason why I left is because I had a baby <laughs> and I had like, I think like two or three books under contract and I was on maternity leave. And I was just thinking about like trying to balance the baby, um, the full-time job. And then, you know, all these books that I had under contract already, like, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like I could rearrange my writing schedule so that I was writing less. It was like, I literally had books that had due dates that had, I had already been paid in advance for that I had to turn in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, if I hadn't, if I had known that I was going to be lucky enough to get pregnant as quickly as I did, mm-hmm. I would not have sort of front loaded all of those contracts. I would have mm-hmm. signed one of them, you know? Um, but I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, we want to have a baby, so I should like sign up for as many books as possible. And then by the time I get pregnant and have the baby, like, you know, I'll have like all of this stuff happening. Um, but then I got pregnant immediately (laughs) and I barely had time, like, I didn't have any time to like do anything. So I, you know, me and my husband talked about it a lot and decided that that was probably the best choice for us, um, given, you know, our situation. And in retrospect, I quit my job in October of 2019. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't, I would have quit as soon as the pandemic started, because there's no way I could have had my kid at home with me all day, writing books and, you know, on zoom meetings all day. Like that would have been literally impossible. Um, so ultimately it, it all came together and it worked out. Um, but I was really, really sad to leave that job. I still, you know, talk to a lot of the people who I worked with. Um, and I miss it honestly, but I get to sort of stretch my marketing muscles in other ways, like with my own books and, you know, sometimes my, you know, other friends who are writers will ask me to like, take a look at their marketing plan or give them thoughts about like things that they could do to promote their book. And so I still kind of get to dip my toes in every now and then, which is nice. Mm. And I I guess there's like, you know, there's the doing the job and, and the craft and the skills and that process. And then there's the people and the relationships. right? Right. And like, you know, I guess, how do you, how do you replace that if you need that in your work environment when you're writing now and you're a parent? Right. Yeah. I was really massively depressed when I first quit my job (laughs) because I didn't have a replacement for it. Um, and I am, I wouldn't say I'm 100% an extrovert, but I'm much more extroverted than introverted. Mm-hmm. And so to go from, you know, speaking to people all day, you know, being in meetings, sort of having this other outlet for my, for like a different part of like my creative brain, um, mm-hmm. it's like a different muscle, I guess. Um, and then from going to having that every single day to like not having it at all was really, really difficult. 
Um, and also, you know, at the time when I first quit, I was spending all day with, you know, a six month old baby. Yeah. And like, you're not like, it's my kid's a toddler now and it's totally different. Like I, we can communicate <laughs> like he's talking, um, you know, when I take him places, he can like go do his own thing. Like if we go to the park, he can like run around or like whatever. Um, and so it's very different now to have, to be spending all day with him because at least now it feels like I'm spending all day with a person. Um, but before when I first quit my job, it was like, I was spending all day with a potato. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like no mental stimulation, no like input at all. And then of course, when the pandemic hit, it was even worse because, you know, before the pandemic, at least I could, I would take him to story time at the library and like, maybe I would get to talk to other parents there or I would meet a friend for lunch. And so I would have like, at least like an hour of like adult conversation to look forward to. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really difficult to replace that eventually like maybe so that I quit my job in October, maybe like November, December, mm-hmm. I put him in daycare. And, um, so I had, you know, part-time daycare. And so I had, some hours that I got back and I had a co-working space and I would meet friends to write, you know, meet other writers in the city who had like similarly flexible schedules. Um, and that was lovely because that was sort of starting to refill that well a little bit of, you know, being around other creative minded people, um, having, you know, conversations about our work, um, or, you know, deadlines or what we were looking forward to or whatever. Um, and so it was sort of feel it, filling that social, um, hole that had been created from leaving my job. Yeah. Um, but again, then the pandemic hit. So, (laughs) so as soon as I got started sort of getting a little bit of that back, and finding a balance between, um, you know, having a kid and writing and still wanting to interact with other people. Um, as soon as I started to sort of find that balance, I lost it again. Um, and you know, obviously everybody lost tons of things, um, and people. Um, but, but yeah, so it was, it was really, that was really traumatic uh, that was a really, you know, sort of slingshot back to where I had just escaped from, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I get it. It's like something we don't really talk about, right? right? Like in that, you know, a lot of people romanticize the idea of becoming a full-time author, but, yeah. you know, that, that does sound like something to, to maybe plan for in advance if you are thinking about, doing you know somebody's thinking listening to this thinking about doing what you did making that leap you know these are things might want to think about yeah it was surprisingly devastating (laughs) um and my husband would joke at the beginning until like one time he said it and I like started crying (laughs) he would joke he'd be like oh yeah it must be hard living your dream and like I got super like he would say it and like the first couple times he said it it was like oh ha 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 like whatever But then, like, it was honestly, like, I was, like, really, really devastated by, um, and I think, obviously, it's different if, um, if you haven't just 
you know, brought a kid into your family? Because I think especially as, especially as a, as a mother, um, having a baby really fucks up your sense of identity. Yeah. Um, for a very long time. Yeah. And to lose, to not only sort of lose the body that you knew, and I don't even mean like what it looked like. I mean, like literally the way your body felt, mm-hmm. it feels totally different. Um, and, and you, you also sort of lose ownership of your physical body while you're carrying a child. And then delivery itself is like a super traumatic experience, whether it goes routinely or not. And then mm-hmm. if you breastfeed, you all, you still like your body is not your own for so long. Um, so you lose your body and then <laughs> for me to then lose my, you know, my job, which had been such a huge part of my identity and a part of my everyday life and all of the friends that went along with it, the people that I was used to seeing every single day. Um, it was very, it was very shocking um, in a way that I did not expect. And so there was a while after I had probably a year for a year. Um, and I, and I don't even think I had like postpartum depression or anything, but like, Mm. or at least I wasn't diagnosed with anything. Um, it was just very, um, disorienting. Um, you know, and I had to sort of find my way back to, my my own definition of of who I was and who I you know who I still was I guess mm-hmm. and who I was before and how and what had changed um, yeah. because it's very easy to get swallowed by motherhood um, yes. and parenthood in general um, but I think, <laughs> but I think especially especially if you're um, especially if you physically gave birth and especially if you are the primary caregiver. Um, which I was for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it is something that other writers should really think about, um, making sure that they have things in place, even if it's just like every Tuesday you have a writing date with a friend, like Mm -hmm. even something Mm -hmm. as simple as that will help you orient yourself in space and like coming up with your own schedule, like, all those things are important to think about before you before you leave a full-time job because jobs really have a way of structuring our day in a way that we don't realize until it's gone. And then you're like, oh, wait, what am I supposed to do all day? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're probably not writing all day. Yeah, I, I think that it's really difficult to... I mean, there are some people who are just machines and they can like totally do that. I am not that kind of person. And so when I first left my job, I had to really, it took a while for me to figure out like, how am I going to structure my day? Yeah. Um, and I mean, once my kid was in daycare, that was a lot easier because it was like, okay, I have these five hours while he is not physically with me and I have to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe meet some other needs. Yeah. And, yeah. And like maybe eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yeah. And that was, and that was basically that, like when he was in daycare, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, Monday and Wednesday, I would go to my co-working space. I would just stay there the whole time that he was in daycare. So like eight to three or nine to four, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then, um, on Fridays, I tried to do something fun. Like I tried to set up a, a, 
a writing date with someone or meet somebody for lunch or whatever. Mm. Um, and that was sort of what my schedule was. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it was just like me and him, you know, doing whatever we did. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that is something that's a good point that like, especially if you're an extrovert and you're planning to leave your day job, um, think about what other human interaction you can sort of fit into your schedule. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe outside of social media. <laughs> outside of social media, for sure. All right. Technical intervention has... <laughs> Our technical pause has come to an end. So. Okay. So you're talking about this this journey of being a you know writer, an aspiring writer who was writing, um, who goes into this journey of working a full time job and really pursuing hard this idea of being a you know a writer of children's books, and then you start to succeed at that, and succeed at having a kid. You leave your job, right, <laughs> and life changes dramatically, right, and right. And you have to be productive because you've got books under contract. I, you know, I assume that's an, an issue. Yeah. Um, so then COVID happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how has that been? Um, oh, it's been hellish. Um, yeah, it was... I mean... It's interesting to talk about it now because, like, I saw someone on Twitter put, like, we see a light at the end of the tunnel and we're praying it's not a train. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that is literally how I feel. But but because I do see that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we're vaccinated. Um, I mean, me and my husband are children, you know. Yeah. I I have a kid, I know. Yeah. 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 And so just like he, you know, I signed him up for summer camp. So he's going to be out of my apartment for the first time in 16 months um, during the day. And so it's going to be weird, (laughs) but I think good weird. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, when the pandemic hit, my kid wasn't even a year old yet. And so I want to say he was eight months old, eight, nine months old in March. And, um, you know, you have a kid, you know what Mm -hmm. a nine month old is like. (laughs) Yeah. But for any, any any listeners who don't have children, a nine month old is literally just like a tiny drunk person um (laughs) like they can't walk well but they try to constantly they're pulling up on everything even things with wheels or you know things that are not stable at all like a robe hanging on a hook um they are putting literally anything they find into their mouths. They're like a they're like a drunk person who also like wants to like not be alive anymore. Mm. So like they're const like you basically have to just constantly stop them from like doing things that hurt themselves. Um 
And so it was just like that 24. Also, they like cry all the time. You know, they like don't want to eat their food, but you have to like try to feed them. They don't want to sleep, but they need to sleep. (laughs) Yep. So just like it was nightmarish. And my husband was working, you know, full time. So he's in meetings all day. So like there was there were a lot of days where he just physically was unable to help me. Um, And so it was just me and the baby you know, for months until it came to the point where like in the summer of 2020, Hmm. um, oh, and by the way, I was, I still had all these books that I had to write. (laughs) Yes. This is the question in the back of my mind. No, no, no. I mean, please, but you know, like this is, yeah, this is the reality, right? (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, the first book that I wrote in the pandemic, like, I honestly don't even remember what the book is about. Like I have, because I read somewhere, like I read during, during the, you know, the first year of a kid's life, um, you don't have, you don't have a ton of memories from that because you make memories when you sleep Mm. and you're barely sleeping. (laughs) And so I think that that's why I don't really remember a lot of the books that, you know, in the Fly Girl series, I don't remember I don't remember what a lot of those books are about. Like <laughs> I wrote them, but I honestly don't remember details at all. Um, That's and, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's weird because with most of my novels, if I see a quote from my book, I like remember what chapter it's from or like, you know, I just like remember I just vividly remember the process um, and I don't at all with those novels. I don't know if that's a terrible thing to say, but like um, it was really, really rough. I would either, you know, my husband would get up in the morning with, with the baby and he still does. Um, And he kept him until his first meeting, but there were some mornings where I couldn't write because I was so exhausted. So I would just like sleep until whenever he came and got me. Um, but some mornings I did get up and write, um, you know, in those two or three hours that I had before, um, I had to sort of take over childcare for the day. And then I would write in the evenings, um, if I could, if Mm -hmm. I had the mental wherewithal to do it. (laughs) Um, and I don't like, I wish that I could say that I had like this system or a schedule, Um, but I really didn't, it was very much like triage mode. Like, can I get some words in right now? Okay. Let me go do it. Um, or it's like my deadline's coming like next week. So let me just power through the next 10 days and write all the words. (laughs) Um, um, do you think that was, do you think that was a little bit easier because you already been through the process of writing books a few times? You know, I think that I would love to say yes, but I don't think that's true Hmm. Um, because I feel like every book that I've written has been a completely different animal and I rarely am able to take any lessons (laughs) from the last book forward with me to the next book. Yeah. And that might just be me. Um, there's some people I know who like are very methodical and like 
who plot everything out, who outline everything, um, who plan ahead and like have a very specific process. But I haven't so far been able to do that. Um, and I don't know if that is a personal failing of mine or if my process is just to have no process. Like um, my first novel, you know, first novels are always different, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't really know what you're doing and you're just, I mean, it wasn't the first book I had ever written, but it was the first book that I had published. Yeah, you went through um, a process with, with yeah. maybe an agent and editor and that right. kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think the thing that's very freeing about your first book is you draft the whole thing without any pressure or without anybody else's expectations, because right. you don't even know if it's going to be a thing. Um, and so that's what it was like writing my first novel. It was very freeing. Um, I had a little, I put a little pressure on myself, but there wasn't I mean, until it sold. And then, of course, I had revision deadlines and stuff. But the drafting process was really just kind of, you know, it was what it was. I think I wrote the novel in eight months mm -hmm. um, or over the course of eight months. And it wasn't the kind of thing where I wrote every single day. It was just kind of a free-flowing kind of thing. When You Were Everything, my second novel was a nightmare. Um, that was supposed to come out the following year in 2019, but I kept missing my deadlines <laughs> because it was so hard. Um, it was a really hard novel to write. And I was also pregnant. So I was like, ex during the revision process, I was pregnant. So I was like exhausted all the time. Um, and so writing that was just like really, really, really hard. I think emotionally it was really difficult because of the subject matter. Mm. Um, because I've personally had a lot of friendship breakups and it was, an emotional journey for me to write the novel. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, being pregnant and being like literally physically exhausted um, made it harder as well. So writing that was totally different from writing my first novel. And it was also the first time I had drafting deadlines, mm -hmm. um, which I've recently realized are just like not my thing. So if I can afford it going forward, I'm just like not going to sell a book unless the first draft is written <laughs> well talk, just for people because i i'm guessing that a lot of people think it's always you have to have a book written and then you sell it oh and, okay yes and, so, and maybe just like talk about that a little bit like how that yeah, has worked for you at least so sometimes if you're lucky when you sell one novel um so what happened with me was when I sold my first novel, I got a two book deal. And so what that meant was they wanted my first novel and they were also offering me a contract for my second novel, even though I didn't know what it was going to be yet. It wasn't written yet. They hadn't seen anything yet. Um, and that is a pretty, I would say, common occurrence is that you know, sometimes to sweeten the deal, um, mm -hmm. a publisher will offer you a two book deal instead of just a one book deal. So they will pay you double, um, whatever they're asking. Um, which sounds pretty attractive when you're maybe insecure about never getting another book deal. Exactly. And yeah. especially with your first book, when you think that like, you know, selling one book feels impossible. And then someone says, oh, we'll pay you for two. You're like, hell yeah. yeah. Um, but then you have to actually write the second book. 
Um, and, you know, usually, at least in YA, I don't know if it's different in adult fiction, um, but at least in YA fiction, they like to release your books a year apart. So they try to keep them as close together as possible, mm-hmm. um, which means, you know, your first book that you wrote leisurely over the course of however long, your second book, you know, when your first book, sometimes before your first book comes out, you're going to have deadlines for the second book to turn yeah. in the draft. Um, and so it's just a very, some people really thrive with deadlines. Um, but for me, it's a very stifling and like stressful process. Mm. Um, and so I, I recently decided, and I like talked to my agent about it, that like I am going to write any book going forward, um, I, one, I don't want any more two book deals. If I can afford to say no to one, right. Of course, that's always the caveat. Um, and I just want to sell the book that I've written. I want to turn in a, I want to go on submission with a finished draft, Mm -hmm. but sometimes after you have a book published, a book or two published, Sort of like the more books that you have published, the more likely it's possible for this to happen. You can sell a book on proposal, yeah, which basically means that um, you can write a short summary of what the book is about and maybe a sample chapter or two. Yeah, And you can go out to either your current editor or other editors at other publishing houses and say, hey, this is the idea that I have for my next novel. Do you want to buy it? And sometimes a lot of times they'll say yes, especially if you have a proven track record of writing really well or of selling really well, um, or if they just want to work with you. Um, So yeah, but selling on proposal, much like, you know, getting a two book deal then comes with the caveat of, okay, you have to write this book in whatever time allotment I give you. Um, which, you know, you have to know yourself and figure out if that is a thing that you can do or a thing that you want to do. Yeah. And so um, maybe you didn't know that because you mentioned you, you mentioned you had more than one book contract out there when you left your job. Right. Yes. Like, so how did <laughs> like so you, you already had the second novel on contract to write. Yes. And yes. did you were you then proposing other other books on the so, side? So no. So this is the unique position that I was in. And I think because I think because all of this happened the way that it happened and then the pandemic hit, I'm traumatized. And so now I'm like, I will never do this again. (laughs) So no. So what happened was, um, you know, I was at the end of my contract with Random House because I was working on the revisions for when you were everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew, okay, I don't have any other books coming. And we want to try to have a baby. So I was thinking like about what my third novel would be. And like, I had an option clause in my contract with Random House, which basically means I have to give my current editor an option to see whatever my third novel was going to be. And they have the first option to buy it before I'm able to sell it to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had this option clause and I was thinking about what this third book could be. Um, and I had an idea. And so I was working on a proposal as you do. Um, and I was at work and a, an editor, um, an amazing editor who I super, super respect, um, 
like she's legendary. She approached me in the elevator and she was like looking Wait, at it's me. an elevator pitch. <laughs> Literally in the elevator. Uh-huh. She was looking at me and I was like, what? <laughs> And like we had, you know, we had a comfortable relationship because I'm in meetings with her and all that kind of stuff. But she, she's honestly kind of intimidating and like, she's a really big deal. And so I was like, oh my God, why? Like, did I do something wrong? Like what? Like, did I mess something up for one of her books? Like what is happening? Uh Um, And she said, I read your book. And I was like, okay. She was like, you're a good writer. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) And she was like, do you ever write nonfiction? And I said, I haven't, um, but I'm not opposed to it. And she was like, okay, come to my office. Like I have something that I want to talk to you about. And so I basically, she offered the opportunity to write something about um, the Obamas. And I mean, this is, this story could be an entire podcast by itself, but, but the long and short of it is she offered me the opportunity to write a biography of the Obamas. I had never written a biography before the pandemic hit. I was terrible at it. We shifted the focus of the book and now it's going to be personal essays related to quotes by Michelle Obama. And so, and so that is, um, (laughs) that was one of the books that I had under contract. Right. So that was pitched to me. The other thing that happened shortly after that or right before it, I can't remember the timing exactly because it's been a couple of years and I was pregnant and pregnancy brain, you forget everything. But um, a, an editor at Penguin Workshop pitched me, well, said that I think that your writing would lend itself really well to writing um, for reluctant readers. Have you ever thought about writing for reluctant readers? And I said, um, I don't really know what that means. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? And so she sent me a couple of sample books um, that, you know, sort of illustrated what she was talking about. And I was like, oh, like, this is cool. And she said, yeah, like, we would love to work with you. The only the only stipulations we have about, you know, you writing something like this with us is that um, the characters be characters of color and that the story be set in an urban setting. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And she was like, yeah, so just, you know, like put together a little proposal of like what you think you would want to do and like send it to us and like, let's see if we can work together. That's funny. So it's almost like because you had some success, almost too much came at you at once and because it it was a new experience you know you're you know you're ready to say yes right and I was super and I wanted I had always told myself that like I should be super open to doing different things because I was so young um young to young to writing right Mm -hmm. and and obviously and and because nothing is guaranteed in this industry nothing is guaranteed um And so I was just like, why would I say no to an opportunity to work with this amazing editor? Why would I say no to an opportunity to sort of like stretch my plot muscle? Because it's not, you know, with a shorter book, you you have to have a tighter plot. And plot was always something that I struggled with because I was such a character-driven writer. Um, And so I was like, the only thing that can come out of this is I will learn new skills, right? I had never written nonfiction before. Um, and you know, it would give me an opportunity to work with this amazing editor. And I had never written something short before other than like the occasional short story. Mm. 
Um, and so I was like, this is an opportunity to like really become a better writer. That's how it felt to me. And, and you know, I was thinking like, if we're going to have a baby, I might as well like try to write as much as possible before that happens. <laughs> that seems totally reasonable. Right. Like, and, and, and these major life-changing events are, are happening in the midst right. of it. Um, and so those were the, so I had the option possibility. I had the, um, the Obama book and then I had the fly girls series. Um, and they all, I signed all those contracts. And then I think like six weeks later, I found out I was pregnant uh-huh. or like I got pregnant. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. And then there's a, this whole other book though, down the pipeline. So how did that come about the, the co-write? Oh, that was, um, that was like a mid pandemic thing that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Everybody's depressed and sad. Uh, And Danielle was actually um, watching a lot of movies with her 15-year-old niece. Mm -hmm. And her niece was complaining about how um, Black girls were never the stars of, you know, these teen movies or these love stories. Right. Um, And so I think it was also... It was around the holidays and um, that uh, there was a, a movie on Netflix called Let It Snow. Okay. That was also based on a YA novel that came out, I don't even know, like when I was in high school. It was like, it's really old. Um, and uh, it had finally, they had brought it back as like a movie on Netflix or whatever. And it was a bunch of interconnected sort of stories. And so Danielle got the idea that... Um, she wanted to do one with black kids. Hmm. And so she, you know, and she wanted to make it all love stories because let it snow is not really necessarily love stories. It's more just like it's Christmas, like things are happening. I think there, um, there's like a blizzard or something. Um, I can't even remember the plot of this movie. <laughs> but, like, it, was during, of, it was during that period of time. Yes. Yeah. There's like a bunch of kids or whatever, and they all know each other. Um, and so Danielle, was like, we should do something similar, but like, we should do it with black kids in the city. Um, and so we started talking about it. The idea of a blackout came up um, and that was kind of, we have a group chat with um, four out of the six of, of the authors. And then we sort of were talking about who else we could bring in to, um, to sort of complete the, the story. Mm. And that's how we ended up with the six of us. Um, and yeah, we all, we, we kind of chatted briefly about, you know, who's, what the different stories would be about. And, and then it just organically really came together really well. That's cool. So did you like just write your story and that was it? Or was there like some interplay afterwards and like bringing it all together? So you know, sort of going back to like, you know, not, not selling something on proposal. (laughs) Uh, Danielle was very adamant about us writing the whole thing before we went on proposal. And like, I think we could have, I mean, before we went on submission and I think honestly, with all of the sort of star power, um, 
in in the author list. I think that we could have sold, we definitely could have sold this book on proposal, Mm -hmm. but I think it made it even stronger to have the book entirely written. And, you know, it, it, it of course wasn't perfect. It still needed a lot of editorial work, but, um, but the, the, the bones were there, the structure was there. Um, and it was very easy to see like what we were going for. And I think that that really strengthened the, um, the pitch and, you know, the people who were interested in it were very excited because they could really see what it, what it could be. Um, and so we wrote, we all individually wrote our stories and then we came together and sort of talked about how to fit them together. And we ended up breaking up Tiffany's story into, into sort of like acts. Um, so her, you see her characters in between each of every, each oh, of interesting. the yeah. yeah. Um, and it sort of like ties the whole thing together. And then of course, during the editorial process, once it was sold, we like went in and like added more connective tissue. So like you see more characters in the background of other stories that are, um, you know, the stars of their own stories when you get to their part. Cool. And by Tiffany, you mean Tiffany D. Jackson, Jackson, who was a previous guest of the show, if you're listening and want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, her story is called The Long Walk and her characters are walking from Harlem to Brooklyn because, um, you know, everything's down, the subway's down, the traffic lights aren't working, so traffic is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they decide to walk because, um, you know, they, I think her her male character needs to get back to Brooklyn because he is DJing a block party there. Um, and as they walk the length of Manhattan, um, her character sort of bump into not physically, but like bump into our character stories or at least the settings where our character stories take place. So it's and so, almost like a camera handoff kind of. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you like jump into, you know, the different stories before continuing on the walk with them. It sounds like a lot of fun. Was it, was it fun? It was super fun. It was super fun. And I think because all of the women um, are, you know, sort of these these powerhouses and like also just like consummate um, professionals. It was delightful. Um, <laughs> like everybody knew what they were doing. You know, people hit their deadlines. Of course, like there were moments where we had to like remind people to do stuff because everyone is so busy. Um, but for the most part, like everybody was really excited about it. Everybody was super. Everybody had a super positive attitude. Um, and it was a pretty seamless, it was a pretty seamless process. Um, and it, it went really well. And like, we're excited to have this, have this project out in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so what, maybe this question links to this book, but also in general, like, Mm -hmm. how do you think about, like, how are you going to judge this as a success or not? This book and and other books? Yeah, this book and then in general, like, how do you think about success? Um, for me, success is pretty simple. If I get to write another book mm-hmm. <laughs> after whatever the current book is, I consider that a success. Um, but I'm not going to lie, because I am pretty, um, I'm like, kind of a word snob and like a, um, 
I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little bougie, I guess, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to writing like as a craft. And so it rev- professional reviews are really important to me. Um, so when I, when I see positive reviews from, you know, respected journals or periodicals that makes always makes me feel like I did a good job. Mm. Um, and then I feel like the other thing that is really important to me is that, you know, the intended audience. So, you know, teenagers see themselves and feel that it's a genuine depiction of themselves. Mm. Um, because, you know, it's great if adults read my novels, but I'm not really doing it for them. (laughs) Um, and so if I, if I meet a kid or hear from a kid who read my book, um, and they said, you know, the characters felt real. I could see myself, you know, this made me feel less alone like that. My job is done. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, getting approval from the industry in that I'm allowed to write and publish another novel, um, feels success, feels like success to me. And then hearing from kids, um, feels like success. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, those are my, I, th- I feel like those are my two or three most important and reviews are like a cherry on t- a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Um, positive reviews. Yeah. So what, what happens in the converse when like, you get a negative review is that hard um you know I've never gotten a really scathing bad review from a from a periodical Mm -hmm. um I've definitely gotten bad reviews from like humans (laughs) from readers Mm -hmm. um but I try my best to not read those very often usually when i see them it's because someone has tagged me on social media in their terrible review of my book okay <laughs> um which you know if you're out there listening like don't do that <laughs> <laughs> reviews, reviews are for the readers they're not for the author <laughs> is, is, is there is there like just anything that like that maybe like wrinkled you or stuck with you and maybe, Um, maybe led to you reading your reviews less. (laughs) I think the thing that bothers me the most is when um, adults read YA and then complain about the characters acting like teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) That drives me crazy. (laughs) It's like, oh, she was so immature. Like, yeah, she's 16. (laughs) Like, I was immature until I was, like, 30. Come on. Right. And also, I also don't think that any of my characters do anything that's, like, outlandishly immature. It's, like, they are reacting the way I think I would react to being in that situation if I was 16 or 17 years old. So Um, maybe maybe this is just, like, a good question I could have asked at the beginning, but we got off on (laughs) on a good tangent. So, like... Like why 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 kids' books? Why children's books? Oh, um, that's a really good question. Sorry, let me say one other thing about reviews. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bring it. All right. Whoever you are, a reviewer. <laughs> the other thing that drives me crazy is when people say that um a, a character is too perfect. 
especially if it's a black boy character. Um, that always drives me crazy because it makes me wonder why one, I do a lot of work to like make my characters messy. So I don't think that I ever write a character who's perfect, but I, but there was a character in, um, when you were everything, his name is Dom and he's a very sweet, kind black boy. Yeah. And you know, he does, you know, weird and like not great things in the book, but a lot, I get a lot of feedback about him being, and I don't say not a lot, but I've seen a few reviews where people say he's too perfect. And I just wonder, mm-hmm. um, I just wonder about that. Um, <laughs> like, like somebody has some preconceived notions of what the character is supposed to act like. And yeah. And like, yeah. And yeah. I, I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that also bothers me. So to get back to your question about why kids books, um, I think, I mean, the easy answer is I think that most writers are trying to write their way through something. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that most writers tend to return to um a painful, a pain point. Um, like I, I saw this quote somewhere. I don't remember where, but it's, it said, it basically said that writers, um, write about the same thing over and over again. Um, and I think my thing that I write about over and over again is loss in different forms. Um, my first book is about people who have died. My second book is about losing a friend. Um, in the fly girl series, there are people who have died. There is, um, you know, sort of losing your identity. So like questioning who you are, um, there are, there's, there's the theme of sort of like losing a hero. So like a person who you thought was one thing and then they turned out to be something else and sort of like let you down in a way. Yeah. And so, I think a pain point for me is loss in general, like all different kinds of loss. And I think that a pain point for me is, you know, my, my teenage years, I feel like I had a lot of trauma and a lot of um, sadness um, as a teen. And I think that I felt very alone for a lot of, a lot of my, a lot of my teenage years. And you know, for various reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that that is why I return to that again and again. I mean, the fun answer is that I'm still 16 in my head. Like, I still like all the stuff that I liked when I was 16. Right. (laughs) Um, I still like all the music I liked when I was 16. I still, you know, basically dress. um, I dress like a sophisticated version of my 16-year-old self. Right. Um, and I think also that part of your life is very jarring because it is when you have um, one, like your hormones are going crazy. So everything mm-hmm. is just like more intense than it would be at, if it happened to you at any other point in your life. Sure. But also I think that um, the reason why a lot of those memories are so vivid from, at least for me, um, from when I was a teenager is because it's sort of the first 
time that you're getting to make your own choices while still having to face consequences, mm. um, like immediate consequences for them. Right. So yeah. like, yeah, you can sneak out and go to this party, but you're going to have to deal with your parents when you get home. Right. If you go to a party in college, like you might have a hangover the next day or something, but like, there's no immediate consequence, um, in the same way that it is when it's, when it's high school. Right. Um, and then even like any mistake that you make, it just feels like the end of the world because it's impossible to see beyond the moment that you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just remember so many things so vividly from that, from that time in my life. Um, so I think that that is why I think I'm trying to write my way out of some of that trauma. Mm -hmm. I think I'm trying to make sure that any teenager who is going through some of the shit that I went through when I was a teenager, they have a book that they can look at and be like, Oh wait, it gets better. Like this is not the end of my life. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I lost my best friend, but I can make a new friend. Like yeah. I will have other friends eventually. Um, you know, this person died and I will never have another one of them, but you know, I can still make music or, I don't know. I yeah. can still, still it, it, it feels like the stakes are higher. Yeah. When you haven't really been through things before, before. everything's novel and right. yeah. And, and you fail for the first right. time. Jeez. Yeah. And I mean, I think about my toddler sometimes he is just amazed by literally everything. Mm -hmm. Like right now he is very, into like large vehicles, right? So like construction <laughs> sites, he, it's like he, it's like he is watching a fireworks display for the first time every time he sees construction happening. Yeah. And like being a teenager is kind of like that, right? But um, because there's so many things that you're doing and you're seeing for the very first time and they're amazing. And then also like any kind of pain that you're feeling, you're feeling it for the first time. So you're like, will I ever feel normal again? <laughs> like <Right. laughs> it's so, it can be so devastating um, to lose anything or anyone. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's like that sense of wonder coupled with um, the inability to see sort of beyond your current circumstance. That yeah. Well, and you mentioned feeling alone, right? And, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that happens when your identity is in flux and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I guess it's a ripe time for stories. Um, yeah. Whether or not we choose to explore those again, after we grow up. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I want to explore my teenage years in stories. <laughs> I mean, I understand. Somebody tweeted, when was it? It was like a couple days ago. I saw a tweet and it was like, um, it was like the Cullens, like the vampires from Twilight yeah, for anybody. Twilight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Cullens had infinite wealth and time and they decided to go back to high school. What psychos or something like that. And I was like, smile i was like awkwardly smiles in ya writer <laughs> well you know they've had a thousand years to right. stew on on the trauma from their own right. teenagers like how many times do you get to go back and fix it 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that, I think that that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to fix it. Like, Mm. or I'm trying to help other kids know that they can fix it. Um, it's fixable. It's fixable. Yeah. And that includes your, your manuscripts and your stories. I'm guessing they're not perfect when they come out either. Oh, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) They're trash, uh, especially first drafts. Mm. But I will say, I think I write a lot cleaner when I don't have a deadline. Um, And of course, this is not something that everybody can do. And it's not even something that I could do until very, very recently. But the last novel that I wrote, I drafted the entire, I mean, after after Blackout, um, the most recent novel, that I wrote that's coming out next year. I haven't really talked about it at all, Um, Mm. but um, it's called Nothing Burns As Bright As You. It's a novel in verse. And Mm. um, I wrote that during the pandemic, you know, while I I didn't have a deadline because nobody knew, it was like a secret book that I was just kind of writing um, on my own because being in the pandemic brought up a lot of emotional turmoil. for me because basically all I was doing was like hanging out with my baby all day thinking about things and like going to therapy like you know Mm -hmm. video therapy that was basically my life um and (laughs) so when you know when all you're doing is like talking to your therapist and like thinking um a lot of things come up and so I wrote this whole novel in verse um that nobody knew that I was writing except for like two friends and that when that novel the the editorial process of that of editing that novel once it sold was a lot quicker than any of my other books have been and i think it's because i have a couple books under my belt i sort of know story structure a little bit now and i you know there was no pressure when i was writing that book um and so i was sort of free to fix it along the way um when you know when you're under deadline you don't you don't always have that as an option um so yeah my first drafts are normally extremely messy and all over the place um my books tend to wander because i am very character driven and so i don't always have a super tight plot Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the the i really really love the revision process and i i am the kind of person that will completely gut my novel or like rewrite half of it from scratch. Um, I did that with when you were everything and you know, I, it's much easier for me to fix something once it's on the page than it is for me to write well. Yeah. And clearly. Well, it sounds like it take the pressure off. Yeah. You know, and and when you were everything was a book that was, under contract and had a deadline presumably like how much time do you get in the revision process um so it really depends on the book um there's some books and it and it depends on your editor and your schedule right um if you if you're on like the one year um sort of i don't even know what you call it the one year schedule (laughs) book a year Mm -hmm. schedule Um, you have, you usually have about three months to write the book, to draft the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 
you might have two or three months to edit the book. And yeah. it might be a little bit less or a little bit more depending how your publisher works um, because every publisher's schedule is a little bit different. Right. In that two to three months, is that before or after an editor has had input? Oh, so the first the first three month chunk is just you writing the book. Like yep. maybe like you can always talk to your editor during that process. Like you can send them chapters and be like, hey, like, what do you think of this? Or is this like, do you like this voice or whatever? It depends on the relationship you have with your editor. Mm. Um, some editors like they don't want to hear from you until you have the full draft or um, you don't want to talk to them <laughs> until you have the full draft. Right. Um, it kind of depends on what the relationship is like. And then usually the editor will, the way that it worked for me with my editor at, um, for my first two books was I drafted and then sent it to her. She would have it for maybe three weeks to a month. And then I would get notes back and then I would have two weeks to turn it around. Mm -hmm. And then she would take it for two weeks and then I would have it for two weeks and then she would take it for two weeks. And it was like that. Um, so the first chunk was the biggest edit and then the other edits were smaller and I usually did three or four edits. Um, so, and again, that depends on, that depends on the book. That depends on your own perfectionism. <laughs> um, and that depends on the editor's notes, right? Um, it depends on a lot of different things. So, and then it also depends on your, your revision style because some people, like I, like a friend of mine has a very specific revision style where she, the first edit, she fixes the big, all the big plot problems, right? Yeah. So if you have a plot hole or you have a character that needs to like go and then you have to fix all the places where that character was, right? Mm -hmm. uh, all of the big things. And then in the next revision, she does all of the character work, right? So if there's a character who's not quite... Um, uh, present enough or whose personality is a little like, uh, inconsistent, or if you need, you know, for your main character, if you need them to be, um, I don't know, just like have a little more agency or something, she'll do that in that, um, revision. And then the last revision, um, is when she'll do all of the sort of little, like, I need to add a scene here. I need to cut a scene here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of like the little like cleanup work or whatever. Gotcha. Um, and that's before it goes, you know, to copy edits because you still get it back again after copy edits. And then you still get past pages, which is like the final step before um, publication. So, so yeah, you could have a very specific structure like that. Mine was more... I definitely did the biggest revision first, but sometimes that required me to rewrite entire sections mm -hmm. of my novel. Um, and then I feel like the other ones were tweaking. Like it was like tweak, like something right here isn't working. This motivation is not quite clear enough. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and definitely plenty more I could go back to, but <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to call it here. And, and for people who want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Um, you, I have a website, which is just ashleywoodfolk.com. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at Ash Writes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. No, like, underscores or anything, just yep. Ash Writes. Twitter and IG. Cool. Well, Ashley, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I felt like I was just like talking a lot, but <laughs> that's the point. Hopefully that hopefully that was the point. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> it's great. I'll stop the recording. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.